Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. We were stole from Sierra Leone and predisposed to the cold from indigenous souls who didn't know that a man without a tan would plan to take the man and expand freedom at the cost to others. My brother. Toki Wright is a musician, MC, producer, writer, radio DJ, and community organizer from Minneapolis. He recently moved to Boston and is now chair of Berkeley's professional music department. He joins me now to reflect on the death of George Floyd, who was killed by police in Minneapolis, as well as share some of his own songs that have addressed systemic racism and oppression. Hello, Toki. Hey, Emily. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? You know, the, this is uh, it is a, an intense time, and there, you know, there, there's a wide spectrum of emotions that are uh, at play right now. We have, you know, the death of George Floyd. You have all of the community action and activity, the progress that we're seeing. There's the the response, the, the negative response to militarization uh, in our neighborhoods and in our streets. There's a, a reconnection between um, everyone that has a connection to the struggle, feeling energized. But all, also on a personal level, um, my wife lost her cousin to gun violence in Minnesota a couple of days ago. Oh, no. Uh, I had a cousin that was, uh, you know, stabbed and, and was on a, a stretcher live streaming, bleeding from his head in Chicago, uh, you know, last week. So there, there's violences um, happening at, at a state level, uh, at an interpersonal level. It's everywhere. And we, we somehow become really desensitized to the amount of violence. So the fact that George Floyd's death um, hit really hit home with people while they're, they're kind of stuck home and, and inside due to coronavirus. Um, it, I guess it, it, it's the, the tragic, uh, there's a phrase for it. It's like the, the good and the bad of it. Um, people are, are, are inside. Uh, they're quarantining. They're a little afraid for the future and a very real thing happened in the space that they're forced to use all the time, which is social media. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot to process yeah. all at once. Um, you know, when we think about Minneapolis, I mean, I, I know, you know, police killings, you know, you even just mentioned, you know, murder within your family, like. This is something that's happens, you know, throughout the U.S. But I grew up in the Midwest, and I feel like now living in Seattle, there's there's a little different from? dynamic within. Well, well, oh, I'm from Michigan. Okay. Um, grew up in Lansing, but you know, our biggest town's Detroit. Okay. Um, and I feel like you know, there's a very different feel to a city like Detroit yeah. versus a city like Seattle when it comes to race relations, you know, like Detroit is a majority black city. Um, White flight happened a long time ago where people went to the suburbs. And I'm just curious, you know, from from your perspective from Minneapolis, like are there certain, you know, I know that Minneapolis is, you know, the black population there is more than double Seattle's, but are there certain disparities black folks 
face in Minneapolis that are unique to Minneapolis itself that we might not be seeing elsewhere in the U.S.? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people get the impression of the Midwest that, you know, it's Pleasantville and everything's in black and white and everyone has it better. Uh, but for because we look at a lot of the studies, we see all these articles where they talk about Minnesota being one of the best places to live in the country. It's agriculturally, uh, you know, it's beautiful, aesthetically, 10,000 lakes. But for black people, uh, for indigenous people in, in particular, we have the worst disparities in the country. And that, that's something to be said about Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa as well as the Dakotas, we are disconnected from uh, the major cities, but we have uh, the worst housing disparities in the country, the worst education disparities in the country, the top one or two in in education uh, disparities, prison, uh, those that are being incarcerated. I think um, the marijuana convictions and arrests uh, 11 times. Uh, Black people were being arrested 11 times what white people were being arrested for, um, for the same offenses. Um, So there's a a trickle down into policing uh, that comes from all of these disparities, uh, you know, what neighborhood you live in and who polices you in that neighborhood. For instance, the Minneapolis Police Department A study came out in 2017 that 92% of the police force lived outside of the city. And so you can imagine Mm -hmm. uh, the kind of attitudes that come from people that believe in themselves as a policing force uh, rather than a community servant. Um, So the city's kind of been treated like a war zone that people come to to police so to protect their suburban homes. Um, Mm. So, you know, so the in, in even in education, uh, I have a, a good friend, Freeze, who's an MC, and he was a, a student at Roosevelt High School on the south side of Minneapolis. And he was the one that I uh, had there. There was a, a policy put in place that police officers couldn't take students behind closed doors because students were getting beat up by cops and it was just a regular practice uh, for the, the, the school liaison officers. And so, yeah, there's a lot of disparities as well as, you know, a gentrification, uh, a lot of the, the housing, uh, low-income housing uh, being torn down and, and moving a lot of the, the black folks and black and brown folks uh, out to the, the outer ring suburbs. But at the same time, we have Prince and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis have come from there and groups like Next and major basketball and baseball teams and, and things that we can point to and say that those are successes. Uh, but, you know, we, we're in a, a, a difficult situation as black people trying to fend for ourselves because we also run up against this impression that we're doing better because a lot of people move from cities like Chicago, move from cities like Gary, move move from cities like Detroit to have a better life, which is ultimately what George Floyd did. You know, he's moving from Houston to have a better life in the North uh, and ended up getting murdered. I'm speaking with Minneapolis born and raised musician, MC and community organizer Toki Wright. And I want to talk to you about a few songs of yours that address some of these issues of police violence and systemic racism in our country. 
The first one is a song, Nenzo Gentle, and this came out back in 2016. You're featured on this track by Sleep Sinatra, and the songs has lyrics like, Inner city is hard to sleep with police present. And then at the end of the song, you mention the names of many folks killed by police, and then you end with the question, when will it end? Tell me more about this song and, and the story that you're telling in this track. Sure. Uh, so Nenzel Gentle uh, sleeps natural out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Myself produced by Mamadou, and this was a you know a song where we were, we were just looking at the everyday experience of living in this environment and being policed and the the fact that you know the the, the trauma that comes with hearing police sirens uh, every day and maybe that siren sounds different to somebody else uh, who doesn't know that when you call the police that you run the risk of putting yourself at harm so a, a cycle of violence that's created within your community because you know crime can just kind of cycle itself because you aren't aren't safe from crime and you aren't aren't you aren't safe from interpersonal crime and you're not safe from crime from the state and so i, th- I think my First line is like, peace, brethren. In the city, it's harder to sleep, brethren, whenever there's police presence. Peace, brethren. In the city, it's harder to sleep, brethren, whenever police present. They draw weapons like the school of art. Say something smart, you might get to a part. They wonder how the movement start. Just to spark the and all of those names at the end, you know, there's been a long history of uh, murders and police murder in Minneapolis. My aunt was killed by a Minneapolis police officer in 2002, uh, Martha Donald. So, you know, that was, uh, this kind of re-traumatizes me every time there's another killing. Uh, Terrence Franklin, Jamar Clark, Abuka, the list goes on, Philando Castile. I was driving down that street the same day that Philando Castile was killed. Jamar Clark was uh, down the street from my childhood home. And the list goes on. And the only person that has ever been convicted, the only police officer we ever know to be convicted was Mohammed Noor, who was a Somali officer last year, uh, who uh, shot Justine Damon, who was a, a Australian dual citizen, a white woman. And so, you know, the, the, the irony in that as well, uh, like how race is related to uh, the, the relationship with the police. And so, yeah, it, it it's something that we share and experience with throughout the Midwest because we we just aren't heard. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw, I know you had mentioned kind of these statistics and I, I looked at the numbers had been updated since, since you were, I think on a, on a, on another show talking about this, but since the year 2000, 195 people have been killed in Minnesota of those 195 people, 27% of those have been African-American. And depending on where you look at the latest numbers in terms of like census and demographic data, you know, African-Americans only make up six to 18% of the state, right. you know, so right. 
for the fact that 27% of those deaths are African Americans when they make up a much smaller portion of the population. I mean, this is all in the past decade. So, you know, now we're starting to see more people hit the streets. We're starting to see some change within police departments, you know, even in Minneapolis itself through all the uprising we've seen. But where do we need to go from here? Like, what else needs to be done? Yeah. And the one thing I want to say is, you know, we're looking at the data about police killing black people right now, but we're not talking about unlawful detaining. We're not talking about traffic stops. We're not talking about uh, police abuse, uh, people that have been maced, punched, people that have had their their money taken, sexual violence against uh, sex workers. We're, you know, there's levels to this. Like the, the highest level that you get to is murder. But there are all these other abuses that happen or even just walking down a street and knowing that somebody can weaponize the police against you at any given time. So, you know, you have to walk on eggshells. So right now, I think there's an awareness about how if you let uh, policing go unchecked, how it can impact and affect everyone. You look at the man in Buffalo a few days ago, the 75 year old man that was pushed down by the the riot police and bleeding from his head. And I think that touched home for a lot of people because it's like, well, why would you push that man? And, you know, that man is no different than me or a nine year old girl that gets slammed on the ground at a, a, a pool party. We're all related. We're all, you know, Martin Luther King has that quote. Uh, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so we're all interwoven and we're all interconnected. And if we're not checking it in one place, it will wind up somewhere else. So I think right now what, what we need to do is hold police officers accountable. We need to really restructure the way police forces work. And I know a couple of really promising things have happened in the last couple of days. One, the city council in Minneapolis has decided to, uh, by an overwhelming majority, uh, a veto-proof majority, to start looking at de- uh, defunding the police department. And that that's a whole other story. I think a lot of people see, see hear defund and they automatically have feelings about it. But it's really about making sure that the resources for policing go to policing, not to mental health services. And like, like the police officers should not be doing uh, mental health work. You know, they're, they're professionals that could be answering those phone calls. Uh, you know, the police shouldn't be doing a lot of this other social service jobs that they're kind of forced to do because they get so much of the funding and so many of the other programs aren't getting the funding. Uh, so making sure that the, that money is reallocated to the places that, that can actually do the most help for the community. And really having real conversations in everyone's home about, you know, what what is internalized bias? You know, what happens when you have one unchecked bias? What is uh, white privilege? What is a white superiority complex? Why are we so afraid to say colors? Why are we so afraid to say white or say black? You know, what is this fear of black lives matter? Like, is it black? Is it lives? Is it matter? What is it? The combination of the three of those words together? You know, we're just at a pivotal, pivotal place where we have to think about the the greater good and the, the greater community health and make sure that we have the resources that we need to be able to food, clothes, shelter, care for, 
make sure that all people have uh, an opportunity for for health, um, an opportunity to walk the street in peace and, and to not feel threatened just for the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Minneapolis born and raised a musician, uh, educator. You do many, many things. Um, you're now at uh, the Berkeley School of Music. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, this idea of, you know, white privilege and bias. And in you, you have some songs that seem to address this, this clear division between white and black society, you know, not not only, you know, this oppression at place, but just how white culture knowingly or unknowingly upholds that oppression. And I feel like you know, you hear that in your song Gatekeepers. In a city where the entertainment riders are ignoring northsiders, only focus on the indie rock, run off that bias, and you never spend a day on Broadway. I think it's flawed how you could ignore where the culture started off. They holding up the gate, they holding up the gate. I share what's on my plate, though they say they can't relate. They holding up the gate, yeah, they holding up the gate. I'd rather we debate, though they rather play it safe. Tell me more about the song Gatekeepers. You know, see, I'm, I'm from the arts and culture community. I'm from the arts and culture and community organizing uh, community in Minneapolis. And sometimes those two things don't mix. And when the venue is owned by people that don't look like you, when the people that run media don't look like you or don't have a, a genre specific interest in what you're uh, what you make or, you know, for instance, uh, I'm from North Minneapolis, predominantly, you know, uh, predominantly black uh, area of the city. And all throughout my life, no one ever brought me a flyer for any show that wasn't thrown by a black person. And so you, you, you could ask yourself, you know, what what kind of access I, I had to venues when I did want to, you know, expand and, and, and d- develop my art. Um, you know, you have uh, newspapers like City Pages, it's like a weekly uh, that was ultimately making the next big artist in town. If you made it on the cover of City Pages, it was kind of your recognition, your badge of honor to be able to say, you know, you're the next best thing. And very rarely would you see a person of color on the cover. I think in the last few years, they've, you know, really incorporated more people of color, artists of color, but media has changed and and more media is now online. So they kind of missed the boat in that. And so, you know, not having access to the radio stations outside of the black stations and this whole idea that the safest place where you should be able to, to speak your truth in the hip hop community is has a white superiority complex itself. Um, and, and that's really true. Describe, describe how. Yeah. So I have a phrase for it. It's like, I love your music, but I don't love you. Like, I love hip hop, but I don't love black people enough to want to be in the room with them. And so you, you can imagine what it's like uh, standing on stage and looking out into the crowd and not seeing your people there. And your people want to be there, but they feel uncomfortable coming into that room because they're not being represented. They're not being promoted to. They're not being, uh, you know, they don't they don't find they're they're being discouraged to come to these places a lot of times by the venues, by the way that things are marketed and promoted and, and not really having the infrastructure to be able to 
throw your own shows in your own play. The, the, the crazy thing, how this all kind of relates to George Floyd and the, and the, 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 the murder and cop that, that killed him is like, they both worked at uh, a couple music venues in town doing security. And it came out recently uh, that they knew each other for years and that they had altercations. And a lot of those altercations were based on how, the officers would treat black patrons on nights when there were black crowds. So, you know, there's a heightened sense of security. There's a more intense treatment of people. And, and it, 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 you know, so much, you have so much power at the door to be able to shift the mood. I, we threw a, I, I ran a youth organization called Yo the Movement, and we ran seven years of hip hop festivals, brought everybody from CeeLo to, uh, you know, the Clips, Camp Low, MC Light. Uh, and we brought, you know, thousands of young people out to be able to enjoy themselves together, but we made sure that everyone walked in the door and felt valued. So imagine walking into a place where you spent all of your time getting fresh, you know, putting on your best clothes, get into the door happy and then having somebody just rough you up before you walk into a venue. Mm-hmm. Pat you yeah. down, touch you in places that you don't like being touched, you know, totally disrespect you. And then you walk into a venue with that kind of attitude and you're not really having access to a lot of these venues. So it might be like once a year where you see a lot of people that you may not have seen in a while and there's just a tension in the air and that causes uh, uh, more conflict. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a, a long version of it, but, but it also, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it connects to the radio, uh, who get, you know, who, who's valued by the radio station. I think I wrote, uh, no love for the ghetto, but they'll love you if you talk about the metal and you're mellow and you bellow in the vocal pedal. Uh, Soldier pedal got to pull some strings and do some things that's outside of your character. Welcome to America. Somewhere between ignorance and your innocence, it's a hindrance. Do I have to make a fool of myself to break on through to the wealth? We could break through with help. But they're gatekeeping something to that effect. No love for the ghetto, but they'll love you if you talk about the metal when you mellow, when you bellow, when the vocal pedal is soldier pedal. Gotta pull some strings and do some things that's outside of your character. Welcome to America. Somewhere between ignorance and where your innocence is a hindrance is exactly where I will exist. To make a fool of myself to break on through to the wealth with help, we could walk with the belt, but they gatekeeping. It's like, if I could be my true self in this space and you saw the validity in me, uh, how much better would this community be? If if I wasn't always met with hostility, how much better would this community be? And the artists are the people, the most expressive people, the most, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're often weird to our, our communities, you know, we're often weird to our families because we, we chose to, you know, sing songs and, and write rhymes and going to the space where you should be the safest to be able to express yourself freely and being treated with the same policing mechanism that you see in the street when you walk in the wrong neighborhood quote unquote. So, uh, and, and that's especially, uh, prevalent in the Midwest when you have a smaller population of people of color. 
there's a few more things I want to talk about, but I also just want to just leave some space for you, you know, to make sure there are things that that as you've been reflecting the past few weeks that you definitely want you want to mention. Yeah, I I think some of the things I want to talk about. Uh, one thing that's really important to me is that you know I I wrote about it on Twitter. Uh, I really don't like social media, but I've been on social media a lot lately. Uh, just be- <laughs> <laughs> but it's been interesting to follow you there as well. I, I should I should mention there's there's some uh, some serious truths you've been spitting yeah. out on there. By the way, it's at mr right. Uh, TC. TC. Yes. The, yeah. Right with the W. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 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 and if I lied anywhere, let me know. You know, I'm just trying to speak my truth as much as possible. But I said, you know, I don't sit around all day thinking about race, that I have a lot of things that I really love to do. The problem is that race impacts all of them. Mm. And so, I, you know, I even started a thread about what are regular things that you do or want to do that are impacted or thrown off by racism. And people talked about having to walk through their all-white neighborhood with their kids all the time because they don't want to be perceived as a threat. Uh, People talked about, you know, I I mentioned my mom always having to put on the quote-unquote white voice when she answered the phone as a kid. So um, I talked about I just bought a PS4, you know, uh, which is crazy because they're just about to put out the PS5 and I feel really stupid. But I just bought a PS4 and I'm like, do I even want to go online and do online gaming because of all of the horror stories I've heard from people I know that have gone on and been uh, called racial slurs by people, um, you know, th- mm. that they're playing with uh, gamers and other in other places. Uh, just all of the everyday little things that happen. You know, uh, somebody mentioned opening a door for an older man, older white man, and he t- just turns around and goes basketball. You know, just little, little, little things every day. And then you get gaslit at the same time by people that go, why are you talking about race so much? I'm like, well, I'm talking mm-hmm. about race because I have to wear this everywhere I go. And people see me from down the street and automatically have an assumption. And the problem is that then we start to have assumptions about each other, too. So when I see another black person, what do I think about them when I see them down the street? Do I, am I apprehensive about myself? You know, it's it's important for us to understand that it's not just um it's not just about these big moments where somebody gets murdered on camera it's about what happens at your dinner table every night it's about what happens when you have holidays and you have that one uncle that likes to tell black jokes or or you know gay jokes or um or you know the kind of entertainment that you consume or it's not just about the murder. It's about the, the, the spectrum. Another thing I want to talk about is that you know, on the, along the same lines of, of not wanting to talk about race all the time is that I make all sorts of music. You know, I, I make hip hop music. I write poetry. I make house music. You know, I enjoy a lot of things and when you are the person that 
is bold enough to stand up and say something about race or stand up and say something about police brutality, you end up getting put into the box of the person that talks about that issue because it's either you don't talk about it at all. And that's the person that type of artist you are, or you talk about it and you're, you suddenly become the quote unquote conscious rapper, which I never really, I guess, had a problem with that. You know, what does it mean to be conscious, to be awake? Like, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But what comes with that is this whole idea that you can't have fun, that you always have to be so deep that you are ruining the the ruining the vibe. Um, and so I just encourage people to dig deeper into the music of the artists that they think only talk about race or think only talk about injustices. You know, I, I know that there have been plenty of times that I have been excluded from opportunities and excluded from spaces based on what I've said. So it's it's in, incredibly important right now for us to take this moment and to recognize who those artists are and recognize who those speak those those community members are and to make sure that we open platforms for them. Make sure that we invite them into our spaces. Make sure that we integrate them into our festivals. Make sure that we integrate them into our our you know our live performances like the Shabazz Palaces performance on KEXP is one of one of the most fascinating things I had ever seen and, and really changed the way I thought about music. How many other people are looking for looking to see themselves in in quality spaces um, and, and just don't see themselves. And I, I hope this is a moment where that door opens up a little bit more. So, you know, with all that said, I want you to choose the song of yours that we go out on. <laughs> and and which uh, song would you choose and why? Oh, man. Time Bomb. It, it, it's funny. Uh, Time Bomb. I just had a conversation with my mom. You know, my mom is this uh, this little Buddhist lady from the south side of Chicago that is the, the smartest person in the world and also feisty. And... She just, she just, I was talking to her today and she was like, yeah, it's just like a time bomb has been ready to go off. I go, mom, I wrote a song called Time Bomb a year ago. And just really looking at the fact that all of these things have happened in the last few years that are really intense and they're all leading up to these big moments, um, you know, whether it's the environment, whether it's the, the killing of Nipsey Hussle, whether it's, uh, you know, the police violence, whether it's the, the pressure that's been coming from out of the White House uh, and, you know, the, the, the white nationalism. Like it's it can't just continue to bubble up without exploding at some point. So you either do something to defuse the bomb or it's going to go off in your face. And I think that's exactly what everyone saw happen in Minneapolis and what you're seeing all over the all over the world. That's why you're seeing statues of King Leopold II get pulled down and thrown in the river because, you know, we have these slave monuments all over the world that are constantly reminding us that we're underneath their feet. You know, that's why the the statue of uh, Christopher Columbus was beheaded in in Boston, because I have to walk by that every day as a reminder uh, of slavery and a, a reminder of injustice. So you you, you defuse the bomb, or the bomb's going to go off right in your lap. Yeah.
That was my conversation with Toki Wright. He's a musician, MC, producer, writer, radio DJ, and community organizer from Minneapolis, who is now chair of Berkeley's professional music department in Boston. Here's the song Time Bomb by Toki Wright and Big Cats. Sinking in this thing, surrounded, claustrophobic, feeling crowded. Blowing up, I'm growing up like a mushroom cloud that touches down, that'll crush the crowd and say, F the dial, so don't touch the dial. They got wet dreams about wrestling with anybody they ain't, so they can say the jet streams are safe, and they let Epstein escape. We at the gate. This is that dynamite with that tape. When the clock and top it, stop watching top it, wanna change the topic, we can't. If they was playing fair, would they ever made it here? Left him laying there, got him patient in the waiting there. Got his lady there, got his baby there, scared. Crazy how we made it here, oh yeah, don't provoke, poke the bear. Bull in the market, AK-47, brought him to Walmart, I'm going to Target. Living this gorgeous, walking wild black, talking wild black, them is the charges. Praying for witnesses, get this recorded. I got some places to get in the morning. Look at what they did to Nip, what they did to his kids, and what the jealousy did to Lauren. Get him some garments, talk about how much they love and support them, be the same ones that ignored them, kicked in the dough, waving the foe, and it imprisoned the warning, smoke rising into the orbit, ghost riding into the fortress, this why I listen to Marvin, worn out the answer and get the recording, occupier is continually prodding, flint water poison, sink in the toilet, the Amazon to the tip of New Orleans, the clock is ticking, the temperature boiling, ha! Long clock, going north, tick, tick. Time bomb, going off, tick, 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 tick. Long clock, going off, tick, tick. Time bomb, going off, tick, 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 tick. That was Sound and Vision. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound to help support this show. But most of all, thanks so much for listening.